0: This is Software Engineering Radio, the podcast for professional developers, on the web at se-radio.net. SE Radio is brought to you by the IEEE Computer Society and by IEEE Software Magazine. Online at computer.org software. Hello, this is Nishan Saneja for Software
1: Engineering Radio. Today I'm speaking with Dan Berg from IBM, and we'll be talking about Istio, which is a service mesh for microservices. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Software Engineering Radio. Hello. Thank you. So let me tell you guys a little bit about Dan. Daniel Berg is an IBM Distinguished Engineer. As a Distinguished Engineer within the IBM Cloud Unit, Daniel is responsible for the technical strategy and implementation of the containers and microservices platform available in the IBM Cloud. Within this role, Daniel has a deep knowledge of container technologies, including dockers and Kubernetes, and has extensive experience building and operating highly available cloud native services. Daniel is also a core contributor to Istio Service Mesh Project, and we will be talking about that today. Is there anything else you would like to add, Dan? Uh, no, that's uh, that
0: pretty much Calls me out in a nutshell. I spend most of my days working on uh, Kubernetes and, and managing and defining the architecture of our Kubernetes service in IBM Cloud, and and working quite heavily with uh, with Istio and the Istio community and Istio, and probably even more so Istio inside of IBM Cloud.
1: Great. So Dan, before we dive into details about Istio in particular and service meshes in general, let's take a step back and talk a little bit about microservices. Uh, We have done a few shows on microservices, which I have linked in the show notes. However, I wanted to know as to how would you define a microservice cluster?
0: Yeah, so I I get this asked quite a lot. And and my my interpretation has changed from purely theoretical back in the day when everyone was first learning about microservices and, and spouting off what they were, to uh, much more practical these days because I live and breathe and run services that use microservices on a day-to-day basis in production environments. So um, I'm, I'm less theoretical and much more practical these days. Um, and, and really for me, what microservices provides is a is a framework for which we can organize our teams and build and deliver and operate Uh, units of work that drive our business forward in a very rapid manner. In many cases, the microservices allow us to move faster because it requires less communication, less talking, if you will. And I'm not saying talking with other, other teams is a bad thing, but Talking to other teams when it's required for you to do so because you got to do a a ceremony in order to release your code into production is a bad thing. You shouldn't have to have that ceremony. You shouldn't have to talk to individuals or other teams as you're releasing code. And microservices gives you that platform, that architecture, that, that technology in which you can encapsulate your work, reduce the communication between teams, and deliver faster. And that, and that, for me, that's that's really what microservices is, it, is all about. And it's less about some of the theoretical concepts that says every microservice must have its own data source and completely isolated from one another. I don't really buy into that all that much, mostly because I realize that if I've got 100 microservices and every 100 microservice goes out and builds and defines their own database and it's completely different and independent of one another that's 100 databases that I now have to manage and make highly available and distribute across the globe and back up and recover. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so there's a practicality around microservices and then a theoretical. So I, I, I believe that we need to stick with the practicality of microservices, and, and it's all about driving teams to deliver faster.
1: I see. Yeah, that's a great description of microservices because uh, generally there is a certain buzzy hazy line as to when does a service become a microservice and so on right so yeah thanks for putting in in very crisp uh, manner so from microservice standpoint what is a service mesh yeah so the service
0: mesh fundamentally becomes it's really a modern day set of tools and capabilities for managing your your microservices because as, as you decompose a monolith or you're starting from a greenfield and you're creating m- microservices at the end of the day it's a distributed system right that you've got many components that are interacting with one another and distributed across one or more clusters even across multiple geos so it can get quite complex and what the service mesh allows you to do is it allows you as a developer be able to control and observe and manage that interaction of all those microservices through the network and and really the mesh in this case allows you to be able to discover distribute the load and control the communication between your services and observe what's actually happening within your, between your microservices across the mesh. And the mesh in this case takes some of the ideas from cloud native and it's programmable. It's a programmable network uh, that you can declare your interactions through the programming of the network that allow you to control all your microservices. And that's that's really what a service mesh is allowing us to do. And it, it also removes a lot of the traditional burdens that the developer has to deal with between microservices and extracts that out and pushes it down into that network.
1: Right. Uh, I like it the way you describe it as a programmable a microservice framework, uh, a way you by which you can program the microservices. So that's a pretty neat way of describing uh, Istio or a service mesh in general.
0: More specifically, here it's programming the network in which those uh, microservices interact. That that's the key here because it, it, previously to introduction introduction of the service mesh, there's always someone else in your team or an operations organization that goes and sets up your network. But your developers can't program it, and that—that that was that was the difficulties. The programmers really didn't have any control over the network, and therefore they didn't—they didn't have a lot of control over the interactions of their microservices either.
1: Right. So before we start discussing about Istio, can you briefly tell us about the evolution of the Istio project?
0: Yeah. the The Istio project. So the Istio project right now is uh, in its one dot x. Uh, release. Uh, it's it's beyond the one It started, gosh, how long ago now? <laughs> I'm trying to think back. It's been uh it's been a couple years now. Uh, when we when we first formed the SDO project, the SDO project was formed uh, as a collaboration between IBM, Google, and Lyft to develop and bring together a set of capabilities that we were working somewhat independently. For a period of time in the open and within our own organizations and we decided to come together to um, form a single team I, I remember it was uh it was kubecon this is 2019 18 17 maybe at the end of 2016 even I, i'll have to go back and look at the exact dates but um, we came together at a kubecon and had a discussion. IBM had an open project that we were working on for managing control flows with microservices and Google was working on uh, some telemetry and observability and and really secure microservice communication. And then Lyft, obviously, they they had Envoy uh, and they were working and using Envoy for their their load balancing. And we came up with this idea, you know what? These three things really come together, right? They should come together uh, and we can continue operating independently But wouldn't it be great if we joined forces and developed uh, the Istio project? So that's what we did. Uh, We joined forces, and it's been a great collaboration ever since. We've got a large contributor base now. It's not just IBM and and Google. There's Cisco, VMware, Red Hat, uh, and many others uh, that are now participating in the project. Um, We Got past that 1.0 phase where it's matured to the point that we feel that it's useful for production workloads. And that happened this past summer, 2018, August timeframe. And it's it's been, it's been great ever since.
1: Great. So each of those companies which you mentioned, IBM, Lyft, and Google, brought one component. Uh, I think the listeners will appreciate it more once we uh, go deeper in the episode. Each one of the companies brought one component, one major fundamental component of the Istio.
0: Yeah, that's that's right. At the time, there was there was like these core directions and fundamental pieces uh, that each of the three companies brought those capabilities, those pieces together to form what is now the Istio project. And and that separation, those those three components, pretty much still hold true today. If you look at the evolution, it's evolved obviously, um, but they're still there today.
1: Okay great. so let's talk about the design goals of the project. So before you guys started working on, I know that the development happened a little bit independently before everyone came along. but before when when you guys came along and started to work on the istio project as a whole, what were the underlying tenets, some underlying principles uh, which you are invariants in in programming world, like we call it which you wanted to have, uh, which will stay all throughout the same as the project involved,
0: evolved? Yeah, so there several different things. One, and probably one of the biggest one, is uh, portability. We wanted to ensure that Istio would run on any cloud, whether public or on-premises, uh, with, with low effort. I mean, we, we didn't want to tie this into a... Uh, a single cloud or a single cloud provider or make it proprietary in any way. So portability was a key aspect, very much like the Kubernetes design goal so that Kubernetes would be everywhere. We want Istio as a service mesh to be available everywhere. We we also have as a goal to develop Istio incrementally so that there's individual components that can be enabled as a customer needs them. Um, So you don't have to bite off or adopt all of the Istio componentry and capabilities from day one. Uh, you can you can incrementally adopt various features and functionality of of Istio. Another aspect is transparency. Uh, we we don't want to we don't want it to be a black box. We don't want, and we didn't at the very beginning, want Istio to be a situation where Things went into the box, it did some magic and came back out and you got a result. We, we tried to maximize transparency. That is difficult with with networks and network communication and trying to uh, remove the burden from the developer, but we have done things along that uh, along that design goal to maximize our, our ability to be transparent um, all, the, all the while developing the SDO project. And I guess uh, another area would be just uniformity of the of the policies. Uh, we want to make sure that customers have the ability to apply policies in a uniform manner at all API levels, uh, so that they uh, they can maximize the the feature set and the capabilities across their their entire mesh. Um, we don't want to bake in capabilities directly into certain componentry. We want to be able to exp- allow for those policies to be integrated in a uniform manner to allow you to extend the mesh if you wish into your environment. So I I would say those are some of the key goals that we have with the project.
1: So we'll refer back to these tenets as we talk about the fundamental components of Istio and see how you guys enforce them. Uh, So it will be a good discussion to refer back to these tenets. So let's dig deeper into the Istio's architecture uh, by talking about all the fundamental components of the project. So let's begin with uh, the very basic one, which is the the sidecar proxy. In Istio's case, it's Envoy. So what is a sidecar proxy? And what is the benefit of running a proxy alongside the service instance? Right. So in
0: in this case, Envoy is our, our sidecar proxy. It is our proxy we it is a layer four layer seven hybrid proxy controller that provide it's fully custom written in c uh written in c and it's used for driving all of our routing decisions it controls the load balancing and routing decisions across the microservices it is our injection point for doing circuit breakers Fault injection and gathering of metrics. So, on that proxy becomes a very important control point in the entire architecture of the SDO service mesh. Now, the we did evaluate when developing the project um, various different patterns for controlling the the mesh and the routing uh, across the mesh. And we decided to go with a, a client-side load balancer, in this case, a client-side envoy, because of its, its ability to be able to operate on both the source and the destination um, versus other patterns, which could only operate against the destination or, or control routing based on the destination. Um, so that was an important aspect of us and we also felt that it was very very much um, more uh, secure and also um, more capable of um, and actually more fault tolerant ultimately to have the client side load balancer because if you lose one uh, sidecar it's not a single point of failure you only lost uh, routing for the one client not 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 multiple clients so that's why we went with the sidecar approach and with Istio, we've got multiple mechanisms for using that sidecar, um, whether it's manual injection or uh, we also support an automated injection pattern as well. And it works for both containers and we, we have with Istio, we have VM expansion as well. So you can expand the mesh to incorporate VMs and still get the client side load balancing through Envoy.
1: Right, uh, that's a good point which you brought up regarding client-side load balancing being uh, being more fault-tolerant. And uh, since uh, in this case the proxy is running on the each host where the service instance is running, it's pretty highly decentralized. So there is no single load balancer uh, which is failure to pro uh, uh, which is prone to failure. So in this, because each load balancer is effectively running on each service instance host.
0: That is, cor- that is correct, and and in the, uh, a Kubernetes model, you have a client-side load balancer or proxy sidecar in every pod. So it's even more granular in that case that even if you lose one pod or one sidecar in a pod, you have other pods where the sidecar still exists and can continue doing the routing. Um, so it is very much fault tolerant.
1: Great. So one of the tenets which you mentioned was uh, transparency, which is uh, ease of inserting Istio onto an existing cluster for uh, rapid uh, adoption of the Istio project. So how is Envoy able to inject itself in the communication between the client and the server service transparently?
0: Right. So the way that uh, Envoy does this is um, when we do, if, if we take an example, the, a Kubernetes example, Um, If you've got an existing application, um, you will have to redeploy it. um, But during the redeploying of the application, um, we would use injection of the sidecar into the pod. So we will inject the Envoy container. The Envoy proxy is a container within your pod. And we also have an initialization container um, from Istio that would run as well. And what that is doing is it's setting up IP table rules for the pod itself. And what these rules are doing is capturing all of the inbound and outbound traffic and routing them through the sidecar. So the application itself, your container that you currently have, continues to believe that it's communicating with the outside world and retrieving requests from the outside world. Outside world is outside of the container itself. Somewhere else in the cluster uh, is routing traffic to to that container. But what is actually happening once you've established the Istio mesh is that the Envoy sidecar is intercepting that traffic that's coming into the pod. It will analyze and perform any tasks necessary based on the programming of the mesh itself based on the developer, right? So setting up of the destination rules, setting up other policies. It will control and make decisions prior to sending on a a request to the application container and vice versa on the outbound request. The same thing would happen if, uh, if a container is trying to call another service in the cluster, the envoy sidecar will intercept that traffic, make the decisions necessary based on the programming of the the service mesh and then forward on the, the request to the corresponding service.
1: I see. So basically, each uh, the instance of the proxy intercepts uh, the traffic via the IP table rules manipulation and That's the TCP connection uh, in this case ends at the proxy itself. And a new TCP connection is spawned between the proxy and the service instance. Is that correct? That is, that is correct. Now, in the case of um, the container, they're running in the
0: same user space. So, they're actually communicating directly with one another. So, there is a TCP connection to the pod itself intercepted by the Envoy uh, sidecar within the pod in the user's namespace that then communicates basically over local, local host to, to the application itself, the application container.
1: I see. So, is that not like a full blown TCP IP connection, or is it just some local?
0: It is. I mean, it is still going over TCP/IP. That is correct. It is still a connection, but it's communicating um, via gRPC between between the proxy and the container itself.
1: Right. Right. The communication basically the, those packets never leave that uh, host. They are just routed back to the same host in the inside the service instance.
0: That is correct. They never leave the host. Um, they stay within the. Uh, within the same system. In this case, they don't leave the pod itself. Um, It's a communication within the pod. Just like with any other container, it's the same mechanism that if you had multiple containers in a pod, they can communicate with one another within the same Linux user namespace. Hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. They are just another process within that
1: uh, user namespace. Right, so, and this happens uh, uh, for each outbound and inbound connection. So any request which is leaving from the service instance to any downstream service instance, also goes via the same hops. So it goes to the NY proxy, and then from NY proxy, it goes to the destination service instance. Is that correct?
0: That is is correct, that is correct. So, and then on the destination service, obviously if that destination service is included in the, and managed by the same service mesh, the same thing's gonna happen on the destination. The Envoy sidecar is gonna be the first to accept the communication, and then it will do the processing of it and forward it to the application container inside, uh, inside the pod.
1: Right. So one question which I had in mind about this model, while it helps you to inject Envoy very transparently in the communication between the client and the service instance, it does in occur a uh, few hops, few additional hops, which a request has to make uh, to reach the, to, to basically fulfill, uh, to get a response. So does it have any performance implications uh, when we are talking about highly latency sensitive applications? So we have, as
0: part of the STO project, we have a performance work group that's responsible for exercising various performance scenarios and tasks and checking for degradations between releases. So we're, we're constantly looking at uh, performance characteristics. Istio itself, if you use it um, versus not using it, will you have a performance um, impact? And the answer is yes. I mean, you, you've got more components that are in the flow of traffic. There are the additional hops. So all of those play a role here. Um, we are working our best to minimize those uh, those impacts, but they, you can't. It can't be minimized to zero, right? So there will be um, performance impacts across your communication of the application. Generally speaking, for many many applications that leverage Istio, the impact is is minor and the benefits that you gain completely outweigh the impacts of the performance. So it's not typically a big concern for applications that need to get as much highly performant, uh, intensive applications. Those applications may, may turn to a slightly different variant of Istio if they're still wanting to use Istio. And, and we're working on something right now for those those kinds of applications, and um, one of the designs we have out right now is around a uh, proxy approach with Istio, uh, which basically removes the sidecar and takes the logic of the sidecar and makes it a library within your application. So that would require changes at the application level to incorporate the library for the sidecar, but... Again, it comes down to, is performance that. If, if performance is that critical to your application, then you'd want to go down that approach. If it's not, then the sidecar injection provides you the flexibility and the ease of use, and it's not necessary to go down the path of a library.
1: I see. Is, a, is this library-based approach already in production? Uh, is it available for people to use, or is it something which is being developed?
0: Right. It's being developed. We have a design document so folks that are interested uh, can go and explore, take a look at the designs that we have available. Um, you'll see the proxy list design that's available out on the project site. You can you can take a look at it. It's all open uh, and look at the ideas and the directions and the performance gains that we're looking at getting by going down that approach. But it is in our roadmap to implement it. Uh, that's why we're working on the design, obviously. Um, but it's not
1: available yet. Okay, great. Cool. So we talked about the data plane communication between uh, uh, service instances and how uh, via Envoy, Istio is able to get itself injected in the path. So now let's talk about the control plane. So specifically talking about the outgoing control plane communication from Envoy. So I'm talking about the mixer component of Istio. Can you tell us about the the types of control plane communication, uh, which are which is happening between Envoy, the proxy, and Istio, which is I'm assuming exposed as a service to the proxy.
0: Yeah. So Mixer Mixer is really used for enforcing access and access controls, uh, as well as uh, various other usage policies across the mesh. And and Mixer actually has dual ro- roles. And w- throughout time, we've actually split these two roles. Sometimes you might hear it called policy and telemetry because Mixer is also involved in collecting the telemetry data as well, which does happen asynchronously. It's not um, within the control plane. But the access control checks and everything, those are done in the control plane. And basically what this allows application owners to do is to program the mesh to check on various, to determine whether or not if I've got two services, I've got A and B, is A allowed to call B, right? And and that's really the check that's taking place. And there could be a various different ways in which, or things that you would want to check on to determine whether or not the two are, have rights to call one another. Recently, we've added in support for JWT tokens so that you can um, authenticate the user, determine whether or not the user is authenticated to call um, said target uh, service. And that's all done through a mixer um, policy and policy enforcement that you can program into the mesh. Um, and that's that's one, one example, but what this allows, and, and Istio has some built-in configurations, which you can see in the documentation for Istio, that allow you to program the mesh. And we do some client-side caching in the Envoy to provide better performance, but we also allow you as a a user of Istio, if you've got your own very specialized policy check, let's say I'm Acme in my company in Acme, I've got our own role-based system for granting access to services. In that situation, I may want to program that into the Istio mesh, Um, to do the check against my custom access system. To do that, I would have to write a policy adapter for Mixer and inject that program that extend Mixer with that adapter. And then what Mixer will do is, as it makes that call, if that policy, if your custom policy is being used, it will create a gRPC connection to your adapter. Your adapter will get called. So your adapter will get invoked during the communication between the services. Now, that does have implications, obviously, where are you going to run that adapter, um, make sure that that adapter is highly available and everything else. But the flexibility is there through Mixer to allow you to inject that custom policy.
1: I see. So there could be multiple adapters which are running inside Mixer uh, to serve a single purpose. Like in this case, uh, we are talking about authorization. And depending upon the underlying environment in which uh, Istio is running, if it's Kubernetes or Cloud Foundry uh, or v- virtual machines, uh, this backend infrastructure for authorization could change. So, how is uh, Mixer able to seamlessly contact the use the right adapter and contact the right backend infrastructure? how how is that is that a decision which is made dynamically at the time the request is made or is it be enforced via configuration on the mixer side so
0: that that is enforced through the configuration on the mixer side when you when you extend mixer with your own adapter as an operations or operating istio It is the responsibility of the um, team that's extending and managing the Istio mesh to also properly configure the adapters. So part of this is that the adapters must be available on the network, they have to be able to be addressed and support gRPC, obviously, in order to be used here. Mixer itself doesn't dynamically discover the adapters. Those have to be pre-configured and added into the mesh. And configured for the mesh however mixer is in it has enough intelligence in its own circuit breaking that it can deal with missing or policy adapters that are not available or cannot be reached but in those situations if it cannot be reached then it cannot be executed and if you've programmed your uh, system to use those policies in that situation if you're doing circuit breaking, you don't know can you circuit break open or circuit break closed? In many of those cases, you have to circuit break open. Oh, or or in this case, close. I'm I'm sorry, I misspoke. You have to you have to circuit break closed because it could be a security uh, situation to leave it open. So you do as an administrator of the service mesh, you do have to make sure that all your adapters are highly available and network accessible um, within the mesh.
1: So when you say circuit break closed, uh, what exactly do you mean by that? So um, that's a,
0: So circuit breakers, when you do circuit breaking, you can circuit break open or you can circuit break closed. Uh, and basically what that means is if you're making a call to your target destination, if some condition that you're checking is not available or it's failing, you may continue to allow the traffic to take place, which is you leave the circuit breaker open. You allow the communication to keep going because for the purposes of that application, it's best to allow the traffic and not stop it based on a missing condition that you needed to check. In other cases, if you circuit break closed, it's because you've you've attempted to make a, um, a condition check or you're trying to do a check that's not available or some other condition is now broken. And you cannot make a, a decision whether or not to allow the traffic or not. So in that case, you decide it's safe, safer not to allow the traffic because it could have been a, cons- a security concern. For example, it could have been like a, an authorization check to an authorization background or a backend. So as part of your adapter, you're communicating to an authorization backend. But let's say that auth- uh, authorization backend is not available. In that situation, you're probably gonna have circuit break closed because if you can't authorize because the back end system's not there you don't know if the source is authorized to make that call so you, if you can't access the back end system your best bet is to not allow it because you have to assume that they're not authorized because of a security concern
1: right okay. that's a pretty good description and uh, that's what i was uh, wanting to, uh, that's what i wanted to listen because i wasn't sure what exactly did you mean by that so just to reiterate the mixer, so it performs two different kind of roles. One is a pre-check of a request, which basically involves uh, regarding authorization, making authorization based decisions. And then there's a post uh, request call, which is also made to the mixer by the Envoy, which is regarding reporting the telemetry data. That is correct. So this, this basically involves making two request, outgoing requests from the Envoy proxy to the mixer does the service incur too much latency making these two calls to the mixer backend
0: so one one thing you should be aware of the reporting or the post call that's done asynchronously okay so as part of your data flow you don't see that that's done on an asynchronous thread outside the 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 normal data plane communication so that won't affect your performance you won't see a latency there uh, within your application. The pre-check, that, that obviously does have an impact. And depending on which pre-check you have and whether or not you're using a custom adapter and where is your adapter deployed, all of those can have effects on the latency, right? Because now you're in those situations, you're actually going outside of the SDO mesh infrastructure and you may be accessing another system. And obviously, there's some, as a as a consumer of Istio, you have to take into account your own infrastructure and its impacts on the Istio mesh itself. Now, with that said, uh, when we, early days, when we first developed Istio, uh, Mixer was actually probably one of the, the number one culprit, or uh, it was up there as one of the culprits for uh, reducing the performance or or providing poor performance across the entire mesh. Um, We saw that as part of our performance testing, and we've done a lot of work to improve uh, the interaction model with Mixer and how you use it. As an example, many of the pre-configured or out-of-the-box checks, the adapters that are made available as part of Istio are also cached with the Envoys and that saves significant amount of time when you make those pre-checks. So we've reduced the latency um, quite a bit by doing the the caching of those policies uh, with the uh, Envoy Sidecar. But if you're if you build your own policy adapters, that's where you're gonna see the biggest latency interacting with your own adapter. Uh, we've done a lot to minimize the impact, but at the end of the day, that that is going out, calling an external system and reporting that back. You do have the extra hop with the pre-check, but again, the pre-check, if you're not using the policies and the pre-check is a no-op, so it doesn't have hardly any overhead in the system. And if you're using one of the pre predefined checks that's available in Istio, as I said before, that's cached. So that's actually very quick as well. So the low latency is is fairly low in those cases. It's when you start using your own custom adapters that that latency could go up quite dramatically.
1: I see. So Istio tries to optimize it by ca- making those decisions locally by ma- having Envoy uh, cache uh, that information locally, and then it doesn't have to make a call to the mixer backend.
0: Exactly. And and our our strategy moving forward is to put more of the behavior of Mixer directly into the sidecar proxy and removing more and more of the centralized approach that's uh, that you see today. Um, so you'll see that over time, that more and more of the capabilities beyond just the cache, but more of the uh, inherent capabilities are going to move to the sidecar proxy to improve performance.
1: So regarding the point you just made, doesn't that go against the policy uniformity tenet, which you mentioned at the beginning, where you said that every service instance should get a uniform view of the policy. But if we start baking in the policy inside the Envoy proxy, and since it's cache-based, so the cache will have a TTL uh, after which it will expire, and then we'll fetch new set of rules from Mixer, the behavior could be not very uniform across all service instances. So doesn't that kind of conflict with the original tenet? I don't think it necessarily conflicts with it
0: because these are, these are policies that are made available out of the box as part of the project itself. And those are the only ones that are actually being cached. And we know that they can be cached because they were defined with the project. And we still provide a uniform manner in which you extend a Mixer. Um, fundamentally, it still has the same flow, the same, the same mechanism by which the policy is enforced. All the checks and everything; those are all fundamentally the same. The cache doesn't really affect that in any way. It just optimizes the the pre-check. For the cases where we already know what those policies are, I see um, because they're part of the project. So I don't, I don't think it really um, interferes with that design principle. No, I, I don't, I don't think it interferes with that design principle. And li- and like I said, as as we progress further down down the path of Istio, we're going to move more and more of the logic to Envoy itself to the sidecar. But it will be done in a uniform manner so the way in which you extend it and the way in which we're managing the policies will still be this it'll be consistent as we make that transition
1: i see so moving on uh, one of the important requirements in a microservice architecture is service discovery and uh, traffic distribution management between the service instances so how does istio achieve that
0: so istio achieves discovery and distribution through a component called pilot. So pilot is a control plane aspect that's used for really programming all of the Envoy sidecars with the proper routing rules. Uh, and that's fundamentally what it does. So pilots, uh, you program Istio, you program the Istio mesh with uh, the various variants versions if you will, of your services. And the distribution or the routing rules that are associated with each of those services. Now, the services are discovered via um, pilot. In the case of Kubernetes, it's built in because it's listening to the Kubernetes discovery mechanism or the services. So, as services are defined, it's automatically registering those with the mesh based on on the Kubernetes uh, mechanism. but you can inject other discovery systems into pilot, uh, such as Eureka, um, if you're using an external system for doing service discovery, and that would that would be used to perform the service discovery with with Pilot. And you can use multiple here as well. Um, for external services, those are programmed manually, um, obviously, because we can't program those, but we can Istio can manage those through pilot by programming them as external services in the mesh itself. And this allows the mesh to know about all the services that are available that it can communicate with. And as I pointed out, then you can program the sidecars, if you will. Uh, you can program the sidecars to determine how to properly do the routing and the traffic management, traffic shifting based on Pilot. So Pilot does all that control. It just uh, distributes the configuration down to the sidecars based on the desired state from the programmer.
1: I see. So Pilot makes the discovery of new services and then pushes that configuration into Envoy so that Envoy is also now cognizant of the new services which joined the cluster. That is correct. That is correct so that is service discovery and and how about the traffic distribution management can you give us a few scenarios in which traffic distribution management becomes important and how does the pilot enforce that
0: yeah sure so if you're if you're a traditional kubernetes model so in in kubernetes uh, you would define services and you would route the routing that would take place, or load balancing that would take place, is round round robin load balancing. It, it will just round robin to each of the service endpoints that exists for that service, and there's really no control over it. So you get into a situation that, as a developer, if I'm rolling and I've got microservices and I've, I have a deployed, I'm running out in production, but now I've got a new feature that I'm going to try out with my microservice, and I want to roll that out into production, but I don't want to give access to everybody i want to i want to test it i want to do a canary test or an a b test that's very difficult to do with kubernetes today uh, because there's no way to roll out a change without giving it to everybody that's where pilot comes in pilot allows you you can deploy a, a, a service or new instances of your service but with pilot you can identify versions of that. So you can you can start identifying a version one or a version two or a version three. What's great is they're still registered under the same service registration. It's the same service, so the same HTTP definition or DNS or kube DNS entry is still the same. That doesn't change. But these variants are defined so that you can now use those for setting up proper. Uh, routing rules and destination rules inside of pilot so in that a great example might be i'm i'm working on my component and i've declared a version 1 and it's a, it's out and running in production now i'm going to do a version 1.1 but and i'm going to deploy that and i can deploy that immediately and no traffic is routing to it because the traffic routing rules inside of pilot say 100% of the traffic is going to go to version 1 I haven't changed anything in the routing to determine that it should go somewhere else. But now as a developer, I could change the routing to indicate that I want to route 100% of the traffic to version 1.1 if and only if the user identity is me, (laughs) myself, right? And then once you've program that in then everybody else on the planet is going to get version one except when you log into the system and start developing against it you'll get version 1.1 and that determination is made by pilot
1: yeah that's pretty cool that uh, we can make such decisions based on the version as along with that also the identity of the service instance or the person who is making the request
0: And it can get more uh, granular than that. I mean, you could do percentage-based, you can do um, geography-based information. Basically, anything that can be in an HTTP header can be used for making traffic routing decisions to your versions of your service. So it it can be quite powerful, um, and you can have many, many versions. Um, Folks are even looking at using this to do feature flagging as a mechanism, that they would have their feature flags identified in the in the header information therefore they can choose and and drive different type of routing based on feature flags as well so there's some really interesting things that you can do to control the traffic
1: i see that's pretty cool that you can uh, make uh, routing decisions based on the content of the request correct yep so uh, i had one question regarding this uh, a particular model what happens if the policies of uh, the service instance conflict with the policies which are deployed by a pilot on the envoy proxy for example like timeout settings for the http connections if the timeout setting for a service instance a is uh, 5 seconds and uh, what a pilot deploys on the envoy instance on the same host is 10 seconds uh, so now when they talk to the same destination service how do how does Istio manage that?
0: Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. And uh, something that's uh, very difficult with microservices is just managing the interactions of all the services and their timeouts because, it, I mean, it's an aggregate. You're dealing with multiple calls across multiple services. And if you don't have the right settings for your timeouts, then things are gonna break in really odd ways. Um, What's nice about Pilot is that, first of all, Pilot can set timeouts and you can program timeouts into your invocation calls and you can also program retries in here. But what's even better than that is, I shouldn't say better, but what helps as a developer is Pilot can inject changes or delays in those invocation calls so you can test your timeouts. And that's, that's really important. So if you got them wrong, you can go through and use pilot's fault injection support and latency support to validate whether or not you have the proper timeout set across your microservices.
1: I see. So you're talking about the fault injection test based testing. That's right. That's right. I see. So that will help you to kind of determine that the timeouts which were deployed by the uh, pilot on the proxies are well set but you cannot change the timeout which are inbuilt inside the service instance you you cannot right so uh, it, like in the example which i gave uh, what will be the timeout uh, which will be used by a service instance the five seconds one which is inbuilt inside the library of the of the service or the 10 second one which is deployed by the pilot on the envoy proxy
0: well, at this point, Istio does not change the application, so the application timeout obviously is going to supersede everything um, because it's going to time out. But Istio itself won't—it won't time out—but um, the application will supersede that. But what what you can do with the checks? So if your application is already having timeouts built into it, one one of the things that you can and probably should do is remove the hard-coded timeouts from your application because if if it's hard-coded into your application then it doesn't give your developer the ability to programmatically adjust the timeouts um, because they're baked into your application so those should be removed you should re- refactor or re-architect your application slightly to remove those hard-coded timeouts when you're using the service mesh because you can program, program those in and adjust them real-time um, within the service mesh itself,
1: I see. Well, that's a good point. Uh, hardcoded timeouts are never a good idea, <laughs> even with or without service mesh.
0: That is that is correct.
1: <laughs> right. So, lastly, the component of uh, Istio which I wanted to talk about was uh, Citadel, which is a key uh, store, key store for all the identity information within the. Istio uh, network. So, but as uh, let's take a step back and uh, let me ask a more general question about how uh, do all these components, Citadel, uh, Pilot, Mixer, fit in the Istio security model? And what roles do they perform to ensure a secure pathway of a request coming from the origin uh, end user?
0: Yeah. So let's, let's just take an example. Uh, service client calls from the Internet calls service A, service A calls B um, within the mesh. So if you've got the A and B in the mesh, these components. So when you first start, it comes in, customer call comes in, it will hit the Istio ingress gateway. And the ingress gateway can accept and does the TLS termination at the the edge from the internet call coming in. So you have to ensure you've got an HTTPS request coming in from the client. That ingress gateway is programmed and participates in the service mesh. So then with mutual TLS turned on, um, which is what we would recommend in a production setting, uh, the ingress gateway will establish a mutual TLS communication to service A to ensure that the traffic is fully encrypted. from one, Even once you get into the cluster in a Kubernetes cluster and into the mesh, even beyond then, um, it is now fully encrypted to tar, um, service A or pod A. And the same thing's true when A then calls B, it's going through the same handshaking that takes place. Uh, The mutual TLS will be established and the mutual TLS establishment is, um, and handshaking is taking place between the sidecars, not, not the application. So the developer is not burdened with having to write all that logic to perform mutual TLS handshaking. That is all done by the sidecars. Remember communication inbound and outbound traffic is intercepted by the envoy sidecar. So now the Envoy sidecar is programmed to do mutual TLS communication between
1: one another. And who is responsible? I just wanted to ask for performing mutual uh, TLS, you need the certificates. And which component of STO is responsible for deploying both the client and the server-side certificates?
0: And that is Citadel. Okay. Citadel's primary role is to manage certificates and manage service identity within the mesh itself. Um, it's service to service and end user authentication using the identity credentials from Citadel itself. So it's managing all the certificates and it's which ensure that you get encrypted traffic between, between your services. And in this case, if you're running in a Kubernetes cluster, this means you get encrypted traffic between pods which anybody that's trying to build a secure <laughs> a secure container solution this becomes incredibly important. Citadel is also responsible for it, revoking or revolving those keys, so it's it's constantly doing that. I think the default is a 15 minute rotation, so it's constantly rotating the keys across the entire mesh.
1: Okay, so Citadel, so Envoy proxy talks with Citadel to fetch the certificates and then based on a policy, it's also uh, rotating those, these certificates and revoking them if required. And then, uh, pilot is responsible for, uh, deploying the authentication policies on, uh, on the envoy proxies, which is required when you establish this mutual TLS between the service instances. Is that correct?
0: That is correct.
1: Yes. So,
0: and and just one clarification. So Citadel. So the sidecars don't talk to Citadel. Citadel will talk to the sidecars and will will send the certificates to the sidecar. So it's sending the certificates to the sidecars. And you're right, pilot. And that, that. Thank you for clarifying that. Pilot is responsible again. Going back, responsible for programming the sidecars. And in this case, as part of the programming of the sidecars, it's programming the authentication policies, and and also providing some of the secure naming content and information to those policies or to to those um, proxies.
1: So, what exactly is this uh, secure naming content? Can you t- talk a little bit about that?
0: So, um, this is
1: basically just a it's a, a
0: mapping of the. It's an end-to-end mapping of the server identities, and it's encoded within these certificates. And, and, and it's really referred by the discovery service and, and DNS, in this case, uh, Kube DNS. So this way we can use this mapping information from identity, like in service A, if we have a service A, the identity of service A, to the service name B so that we actually know what that means. That so basically A is allowed and authorized to run service B. So that's what this information is encoded in the secure naming. And, and pilot is watching for, for changes in the API server. I mean, that's what it that's what it does. It's a controller. Istio is an extension of Kubernetes in that way. And it is it is constantly creating the secure naming information and distributing it securely as changes take place within the cluster itself. So Pilot is constantly doing that. It's not something that the customer necessarily or the developer has to do. Pilot is doing that as changes are being made within the cluster.
1: I see. So basically it helps secure naming information helps you to prevent like man in the middle attack where a malicious user is able to route traffic from service A to its own service, but then also the communication from service A to the malicious service will not happen because of these secure naming rules which have been deployed on the service A.
0: That's right. and And that's what makes this so powerful because a malicious user here is not able to perform the man in the middle in this case, or or to forge the identity of one of the services because of
1: this. Right, exactly. Cool. Uh, so I think we had a pretty good talk about all the different components of uh, Istio. So one of the last few questions which I wanted to ask was comparison of Istio with other service meshes which are out there. I know that AWS launched AppMesh in this reInvent, and uh, Linkerd has been around for a while. So can you do a little bit of a comparison, and uh, where does Istio stand when compared with uh, these uh, services? And I know there are other service meshes too, but these were the popular ones, so I thought I, I handpicked them.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and... Back when we first started, even before we started Istio, we were looking at the different meshes or microservice platforms that were available before we started that and before we even decided to go with Istio. Now, there's there's many different... Today, it seems like there's a new service mesh popping up almost every other day. So there are various others. Um, Linkerd, obviously, is one that... Uh, is a java based sidecar for performing some of the same characteristics It's just a a different sidecar in this in this case. It doesn't have all the same features uh, as istio has, but it does have some of the same core some of the same core tenants and some of the same uh, abilities to do uh, like um, policy based uh, routing. Um, I, it's not clear to me and I'd have to go back. It's been a while since I looked at Linkerd. I don't believe they have the same level of security control that we have in Istio, especially around the, the features that Citadel has, but it is, it is lightweight as far as the number of components. So it's easy to install. Another one that's like that is the the one from HashiCorp. Oh, what is, I'm going to bastardize the name now. Uh, what was it? It was the something connect console connect. I'm misnaming it now. Uh, I can't remember the name from HashiCorp.
1: There are so many service meshes out there. Do you think that every everyone has a room for growing or is it like an overcrowded market at this time? Or or maybe this whole concept of service mesh is a new one and market will be going towards, everyone will be going towards that trend, so which will give every service mesh a room to expand and grow.
0: Yeah, I believe what's going to happen is what we see in many of the in the IT industry, what happens when something new comes on the market. I think we're going to see more expansion. I'm confident that you're going to see more variants of service meshes, as well as even higher level uh, utilities and projects that try to link together multiple meshes. Uh, I, I do believe you'll see that kind and using some of the same capabilities that you see from Istio, whether it's uh, Envoy or it's an Istio or um, Pilot and Envoy together or another group taking uh, Citadel uh, and using that as part of their solution. So I do think we'll see more expansion and there is room for it. I mean, there's no, there's no clear necessarily a winner uh, in the, in these spaces. Some of them are going to be that um, a service mesh capabilities have been expanded on top of pre-existing solutions like service, microservice solutions, microservice discovery solutions. and And oftentimes they don't have as many features or the richness, but if you're already using that product, it might make sense to adopt their service mesh, at least initially, because it's easy to adopt because it's built into the solution that you're already using. So I, I do think we'll see some of those. And then of course in other cases, other cloud providers are building their own meshes, their own service mesh. Part of that is some some clouds like to have proprietary solutions and, and don't don't want to work with the community. And I I mean there there's variations on those themes, but I do think what we're going to see is that the market's going to grow. We're going to see more projects over time, but I do believe that ultimately these things shrink. Um, they're going to it take it's going to grow for a bit, and then it's going to come back. It's going to shrink back to a smaller number of adopted solutions. Um, we saw the same thing in the container orchestration space, uh, as as we can all attest that Kubernetes is the one that's kind of formed as the clear choice by vendors and customers. I think we're going to see something similar with service meshes and it's going to be based on the strength of the community, strength of the code base, participation from other vendors. Uh, So which which one do we think or a handful do we think are going to emerge as the clear winners? I think Istio has a strong chance. (laughs) I think it's got a strong footing and a strong community.
1: Great. So does Istio support other environments other than Kubernetes, or is it currently only focusing on Kubernetes? Uh, yes, it
0: does support other other environments. Uh, it supports VMs. We have it running with VMs or bare metal environments. Uh, we have it running with a uh, Cloud Foundry environment as well. The The intention at the very beginning with Istio was not to not to have it just work with containers or just work with Kubernetes. As we progressed, it became it became clear that Kubernetes as a platform, you got to remember Kubernetes is an orchestration platform, but it's also a platform for building modern cloud native applications. So we built Istio in the Istio control plane as an extension of the Kubernetes API server uh, with custom resource definitions because that it was the programming model that fit our needs. But while while the mesh is built as an extension to Kubernetes, it doesn't mean it just supports Kubernetes. It will support VMs, bare metal, and, and Cloud Foundry as well.
1: And the support of uh, these other environments are already production ready, or is it something which is being worked on?
0: So the VM and bare metal support definitely is. It's part of the VM expansion available in Istio. The Cloud Foundry, we've seen less adoption. So I would caution someone, if, if you're looking at picking up and using it for a Cloud Foundry environment, I would evaluate it and test it. Uh, and if you're really serious, get involved in the community and help um, expand and harden that feature set which is less about Istio and more about the environment in which it runs in. That's, that's really where you'd, you'd have to do more of the work for the sidecar injection and policy enforcement is unique to that environment um, versus a Kubernetes or a VM-based environment. So like I said, we haven't had as much of a, a community or consumer requirements for it. There are some, but it's not a, nearly as strong as containers and VMs.
1: Okay, great. So Dan, lastly, what are the upcoming features of Istio which uh, everyone who is listening should look forward for?
0: Well, so the the big thing, first of all, Istio is super rich in features. Uh, there's there's already a lot of very rich features available in Istio. Um, we are uh, delivering one dot one. We're we're working on finalizing one dot one. What people need to be aware of and where we've put some focus, and like I said at the beginning of this, I live this day in and day out as part of IBM Cloud with our Kubernetes service, it's operations and operational maturity of a platform. Um, If you want to adopt and use a platform, you want to make sure that it's easy to operate, easy to install, easy to extend, easy to upgrade, easy to operate. Um, So we're, we're really putting more focus on, those capabilities in Istio and making it operationally mature. So that's what you're gonna see in 1.1. We're looking at even beyond that into the future with with more advanced like multi-cluster support, which we have some capabilities in in, uh, 1.0 right now and 1.1 for multi-cluster and really supporting those hybrid scenarios. So on-prem, off-prem, multi-cloud scenarios. And I do believe you're going to see more of that, especially as we progress our strategy and into the future, much more of the multi-cloud hybrid scenarios.
1: So Dan, how can people follow you? Everyone who is listening, how can they be aware of everything new which is happening in Istio?
0: So very easy. Get involved in the Istio community. We have a a messaging board where you can ask questions uh, and follow those questions and participate in the community actions. We have a, we have mailing lists as well, but the, the discussion boards are, are fairly new and we want people engaged in those. It's a great way to ask your questions, stay focused and watching where the community is going. Uh, we have weekly community um, meetings that people can get engaged with all of our designs, all of the working groups. Those are all posted out on our GitHub repository, uh, as well as our Google Docs um, page and our Google Drive for Istio. So it's very transparent. You can easily go and see what each of the working groups are working on. If you're interested, get engaged. Each working group has posted meetings. You can call in to those meetings and participate, even if you just want to listen initially. Um, But we we definitely, we're looking for participation. We want more input from the community. So please get engaged. Take a look at istio.io. That's your starting point. For, for seeing the, the working groups and, and the discussion boards.
1: Great. Dan, thank you for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. This is Nishant Saneja from Software Engineering Radio. Thank you for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to SE Radio, an educational program brought to you by IEEE Software Magazine. For more about the podcast, including other episodes, visit our website at se-radio.net. To provide feedback, you can comment on each episode on the website or reach us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or through our Slack channel at seradio.slack.com. You can also email us at team at sc radionet This and all other episodes of SE Radio is licensed under Creative Commons License 2.5. Thanks for listening.